So, Rachel. Yeah? While searching for a lost ship, Kirk, Spock and McCoy are captured and placed in a zoo by advanced <laughs> telepathic aliens. Ah. What do you think you're going to get? It sounds a bit Talosian in this one. So, they've gone maybe to help again. Ended up in a zoo? Oh, for what purpose? They must be experimenting on them. Or maybe, again, they're offering them something wonderful, but they don't want it because it means giving up their freedom. I'm hoping they're in there with lots of very interesting alien creatures. Maybe some scary, maybe some cute. Anywhere close? Let's find out. <laughs> <laughs> Captain's Log, Stardate 5501.2. We are orbiting the planet Lactra 7. Our mission is to discover the whereabouts or fate of a six-member science crew. Voice contact having yielded nothing, a landing party beamed aboard to see if the deserted ship's log and computers could give us any information. Welcome to Rachel Watcher Star Trek. Hello, I'm Rachel Lackey. And I am Chris Lackey. We're on an odyssey to watch every episode of Star Trek with one person who loves it and another person who's watching it for the first time, let's say. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, as a person who loves Star Trek, is having a hard time with the animated series it's not the best star trek in fact i would go as far to say it is the worst star trek i don't know i think if we look at the scores at the end of this series we'll see that none of these were as bad as the bad ones in the original series yes but none of them are definitely as good as the good ones in the original series i think we're teetering around a five to seven or eight out of ten for most of these episodes we're gonna have to wait and see hmm. so this episode is called the eye of the beholder it was written by David P. Harmon, who wrote the original series episode, The Deadly Years. Oh. And a piece of the action. Yeah, it was interesting, yeah. at least. Yeah. Fun. We're also coupling that with the jihad. Yes, it's a double bill. Yes, sir, we got a double bill, two for the price of one. The death men will be desirable, but it won't take us long. Yeah, let's get the series done. The patrons called for a double bill, walking through the two. When an episode feels like a sleeping pill with not enough Kirk foo, well, we'll know what to do. <laughs> Hell, what a great song. <laughs> I love it so much. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. The episode kicks off with a nice bit of money-saving animation. <laughs> Kirk and the Best Friends gang are a still image, watching Lieutenant Commander Markle on a little TV on his deserted ship, the Ariel. I was already confused here, but I think their ship had only six people on it. Three had got lost on the planet, and the remaining three went down to find them. Was it a shuttle then? Are there ships of just six people? I guess Cyrano Jones was going around on his own, wasn't he? Yeah, maybe it wasn't a full big starship like the Enterprise. Hmm. I'm not sure. What's their deal? Don't know. Good questions. Lieutenant Markle says, if for any reason we do not return, be it known that... And Kirk shuts it off at that <laughs> crucial moment. I know. <laughs> yeah, he's pissed that uh, this guy went against orders. The captain of a ship, no matter his rank, must follow the book. Ha! As if! That's rich! You gotta be kidding what? me. The irony of this. Wow. Okay, Kirk. Yeah. They beam down to the last known coordinates of the missing crew. 
Gentlemen will travel light, phasers, tricorders, communicators, and medical kit. Has the writer of this episode actually watched the show? <laughs> yeah. That is what they always bring with Every them. Every time. How is that traveling light? They are attacked by what looks like a mechanical dinosaur, similar to one on Canopus 3, which is many light years away, apparently. Bob Klein was inspired by his favorite movie, Fantasia, in designing the dragon and dinosaur. Mm. He says simplicity, cartoonishness, and reality all mixed together. Yeah, what do you think about that? I think they're really cool. I love the creature design in the show, mm. and I think they've even improved on some. You know, the Gorn is only seen for a little bit in that previous episode, The Time Trap, mm. but I thought it looked cooler than the original Gorn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they don't really move in this, well, not much, but the design <laughs> of them is really cool. The design is great. The desert environment seems right for Canopus 3 also, apparently. They phase of the dinosaur and it falls on McCoy. They have to dig him out. Yeah, it's pretty bizarre. His, I mean, this thing is gigantic. It's bigger yeah. than a dinosaur. It's more like uh, Godzilla-sized. Well, there but, are some big dinosaurs. Not carnivores, though. No, it's like a Trianosaurus Rex-type dinosaur and it is gigantic. Yeah. And somehow McCoy survived having yeah. his dinosaur's tail fall on him. And then they couldn't lift the tail off, so they have to dig him out. They don't even try a lever. Come on. McCoy's okay. Yeah. As they walk, Spock notices they seem to be passing through different habitats, including a rainforest, the desert, obviously, where they were before, each with distinct creatures. Contact with Scotty sends them heading for a densely inhabited area. Flying creatures try to attack them, and these look to be the reused bat-like plant things pterodactyly ones yeah from um the infinite vulcan but they've cut out the tendrils that were whipping around because they were probably quite hard to animate i think they? you're i think you're absolutely right but these things when they come at them they hit an invisible force field that stops mm. the attack so that gets them thinking the best friends gang are grabbed by pink tentacles which are the noses of huge slug-like creatures the lactrons they were pretty cool looking yeah kind of cute actually massive they're each carried aloft for hours, apparently. Mm -hmm. The Lactrans are telepathic, but they think too fast for Spock, so he can only get fleeting images. What did you think of that? Spock's got a limitation. No, I like that Spock has a limitation. That's cool. Yeah. But they say in here that they are as humans are to ants. And I think it's really bizarre how all of their motivations and their practices seem to be pretty human. Oh. You know, like they've got a zoo. Right. Why do they need a zoo? Spoiler! And they're tricked and all these things happen. Uh, yeah, it doesn't sit well with me. I think mm. it was a very poor example of dealing with a super intelligent creature. They've set up these bizarre, rigid rules to make the story work, but they don't make sense no, together. No, no. They kept emphasizing how much smarter they were than people. Mm. All they could have done if they wanted to make a hindrance in this, and I think it would have made more sense, is if they just said their brainwaves work in a different way than ours do. So we can't really communicate together. Yeah. And I think that would be a good way to solve the plot problems that they had with this instead of trying to make them hyper-intelligent because they don't behave in any hyper-intelligent way. No. Mm. They reach this huge pink circular structure surrounded by trees. It's like a, a city, I guess. Spock, Kirk, and McCoy are imprisoned along with the three remaining aerial crew members, Markel, Lieutenants Randy Bryce, and Nancy Randolph, who is ill. The Lactrans don't know Nancy is ill and have the other three died of an illness? The original three? We don't know. Hmm. The aerial crew have tried to escape and to communicate with the Lactrans, but no luck so far. They are exhibits in a zoo. When Spock tries to communicate with the Lactrans, they jiggle and he thinks they're laughing at him. So McCoy needs his confiscated medical kit to save Nancy. So they come up with a plan to all think about McCoy's medical kit. <laughs> and it works. One of the Lactrans brings it to them. That was cute. 
<laughs> Quite like that. Yeah. So they try a trick pretending Kirk is ill, and they all are thinking that they need the communicator to save him. Unbelievably, it works. Yeah. Some advanced beings there. And the baby of the group brings the communicator over. Kirk calls for beam up immediately, but the child snatches the communicator back and ends up on the Enterprise. So the child's parents are worried that Kirk has made the baby disappear and they probe Kirk's mind. So he's writhing around in pain, trying to resist going mad. Mm, fair bit of danger there for the animated series. On the ship, the baby carries Scotty onto the bridge and apparently reads his brain and all the information contained in the library computer and then flies the Enterprise out of orbit. Don't worry though, because Scotty and the kids soon appear on the planet and we get this. Scotty, what are you doing here? My young friend brought me. You made contact? It made contact with me. What did you learn? It's only six years old, but it has an IQ in the thousands. It picked my brain, all the knowledge in the Enterprise computers, and sent us flying off out of orbit. Then how did you get here? I convinced it I wasn't a pet, and that it should bring the ship back into orbit. Then I got it into the transporter to return here. Wow, you've done well there, Scotty. That was about two minutes that had passed. It must be a talkative six-year-old. Well, it's all telepathic, so it could have happened <laughs> instantaneously. And now they've got no problem understanding each other. Yeah, it's preposterous. Eh? The Lactrans realize that humans are intelligent if millions of years, their years, behind them in development. Maybe that's why they could communicate, because the baby's less intelligent so far. Yeah, but the baby was down there on the surface anyway with everybody and why couldn't you communicate with them then yeah the lanterns allow all the humans to leave and they beam back to their ship and we end with this captain we are a scientific contact team and we learned practically nothing offhand i'd say we learned to keep our hands off but there was so much more there will be other opportunities mr markle i have just received their final telepathic message which is we'll be welcome back in 20 or 30 centuries our time or theirs? Theirs. And it will take me some time to figure out how long that is. Either way, Mr. Spock, it will hardly be our problem. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Obviously, because they will be dead. I like that they've all escaped, but the science officer's pissed off that they haven't learned enough. <laughs> there was some kind of ring of truth to it, as well as being completely preposterous. Yeah, I see that. So, concepts. <laughs> Outsmarting mega intelligent telepathic aliens again. Hmm. It was good that they were too fast thinking for Spock. At least in this instance, he couldn't do everything. No, but he did seem to be able to overcome that pretty quickly. Or Scotty did. Scotty or somebody was fine did. with it. Yeah, it's it's all a jumbled mess. I'm really annoyed with this particular episode, even though I, I kind of liked it. If you think about it, it totally falls apart. Uh, let's say Uhura helped Scotty translate, even though she wasn't in the episode. <laughs> and it's all telepathic so what would any of that she's that good she's that good okay i felt some empathy for the pink blobs and they generated some empathy for zoo animals especially primates i'm not sure still whether i'm right in going to zoos or not yeah i know the ones we've been to have conservation programs and they certainly sell themselves as being very active in replenishing populations that are at risk that kind of thing yeah i don't know what the alternative is to generate an interest in the world's animals in children and adults. Yeah. I think that zoos, especially modern zoos, are much more keen on helping those animals and making their lives enriched and happy. They're so, not people. They've done many tests, like behavioral tests and general happiness and contentment of different types of animals. Of course, 
it all depends on the animal as well, because some animals have very simple needs and wants, and yeah. those can be met quite easily in a zoo, and they don't feel the need to like move around or go anywhere like koalas from what i hear they basically mm. will stay in a tree their whole life if they wow. can so in the zoo they've got no predators food on tap yeah and possibly that's 100 percent happiness for them it couldn't be more if they have more space yeah. we don't know that they've tried to measure that to the best of their ability i'm somewhat pro zoo it depends on the animal though yeah you take primates yeah. not sure again they've done a lot of research into this yeah where if you give them a certain number of toys it gets up to the peak of happiness and then beyond that they can't get any more enriched yeah gets you thinking doesn't it and i've definitely thought about it during this episode yeah this was a force field zoo which reminded me of jurassic park a bit which is always fun the baby managed to find out what stage of development the humans were at and that they could become as intelligent as them in a few millennia i think it was mm. which is possibly why they let them go was it i guess we're not really sure <laughs> couldn't they have learned that from reading the best friend gang's minds all the other three who'd been there for a while, all the previous three humans. Yeah, yeah, all of these things are true. If they hadn't realized humans were intelligent by then, what are they basing it on now? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I suppose for us as humans, it's if an animal can use tools or can seem to solve a maze, a puzzle, something like that, is it? Yeah, but I mean, they've had these humans for a while now, so they should be able to figure out that they're pretty intelligent from their behavior. Yeah, they're just trying to meet their needs kind of, aren't they? They haven't set them any tests or it doesn't seem very well thought out i, I no. think you're trying to put a lot of reason into this episode and there isn't very much at all well that's the point of concepts isn't yeah, it yeah Let's find out if the concepts hold up or not were the dinosaur the flying creature etc part of the zoo do you think or only the stuff in the pink area either part of a zoo or part of some kind of conservation and that's why they had the different ecological zones were the force fields keeping the dinosaur in its area for example and if so how could it fall on mccoy because those flying ones couldn't get to them because of a force field well i think they were from a different ecological zone how did our crew go through several habitats which must have each had their own force fields bad writing okay I'll give it six out of ten. Six out of ten? Yeah. Really? Oh, God. Uh, I gave it like three out of ten. Oh, come on. It made you think about zoos. No. No. <laughs> no, I'm not going to give it credit for that. There are people in a zoo, which is a old idea. I mean, from the yeah. pilot of Star Trek. That's true. I didn't like it. I give it three out of ten. John Peel in the Star Trek Files, the animated voyages end, said that he struggled with the plot point that three crew members from the USS Ariel had beamed down in search of the lost landing party, leaving the vessel unoccupied. Aside from the fact, as Kirk points out, that this is against Starfleet regulations, said Peel, one thing occurs to me, how did they expect to return to their ship <laughs> since there is no one up there to manipulate the transporter? Oh, yeah. Obviously, it's one of these things that they just got to get it done and they're not spending the yeah. proper amount of time on it. All right, five out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> and I was so bugged with the idea that these hyper-intelligent beings could be tricked by Kirk just laying there pretending to be yeah. sick. Like, just it's just... Live stupid i made it made me so angry it's as though they hadn't learned anything from the other three they've had there for a while as well yeah so let's get out of concepts and get into entertainment okay there was quite a long time on solving the mystery of the planet having desert near rainforest etc mm -hmm. all the habitats so i couldn't really engage with that yeah so much exposition talking heads they are thinking this i did this on the ship Scotty's was so ridiculous as to be fun though. <laughs> Standing there thinking things really hard. It's a shame Harmon didn't give us a piece of the action. 
Uh, it was yeah. better than the deadly is, at least. It was. Uh, Harmon thought this episode failed because it lacked emotional depth. Animation displeased him in general. Oh, well. It felt so long, like a weird daydream. The voice acting was really soporific, so I just kept drifting, realizing I drifted uh -huh. and coming back again. Yeah. Shatner's phoning it in. Mm -hmm. Again, Nimoy was dragging out every line. Yeah. And it wasn't even talking heads when they contact Scotty. It just shows the ship instead of anyone's mouth moving. Mm -hmm. They also saved time on how the Lactrans moved and because they didn't talk. Lots of Spock and McCoy bickering like the olden days with Kirk trying to arbitrate as dad. Overall, four out of ten. I would say that's about right. I was more entertained with it than the concepts. As I watched it, the, you know, the kind of the weird monsters and the kind of the zaniness that was going on, I thought was interesting. It was slow. So I'll give it a four. All right. Kid value. The six-year-old saved them. So that might be nice to watch as a oh, child. All right, yeah. Taught you how to survive being abducted. <laughs> <laughs> Both for the child and in relation to the crew. Yeah. The ethics of zoos. I think that would be the big takeaway. Empathizing with creatures that are unlike yourself. And would you like to be in a zoo? How do you choose who should be in the zoo and who should be attending the zoo? Yeah, exactly. All right, I'll give it 3.5 out of 5. I'll give it 3 out of 5. Could it have been live? The story could have been told with Horta-like beings, dressed up people, but they couldn't have carried our crew. Nor could we have had flying creatures, but we didn't really need those anyway. Actually, Rachel, this episode was done live and it was called The Menagerie. <laughs> okay uh your guesses i said it sounded like the cage and the official guide to the animated series noted the similarities to the cage like the Tolosians, they were observing responding to their needs trying to provide pleasurable environments and delivering mental punishment so lots of similarities there yeah it's time we'll never get back but we've done it now so rachel yeah yeah Kirk and team race to retrieve a stolen religious relic before a galactic holy war erupts. Oh, goodness. What do you think you're going to get? All right. It's going to be a race through space. Aliens will want the relic to save their people, but everything is going to kick off between two groups, two that you could only have in the animated series. Let's say flying lions and people with two heads. Oh, okay. Got to make a guess. Yeah, that's good. Kirk's got a difficult decision to make, and he'll also try to arbitrate. What do you think? Sounds pretty good to me. Captain's log, star date 5683.1. We're making a rendezvous with the Vidala asteroid on a unique mission. The Vidala are the oldest spacefaring race we know. They say something incredibly dangerous to the safety of our galaxy is developing, and they have sent for selected specialists, including Spock and myself. Maintain the Enterprise in this position, Sulu. If Spock and I survive, we'll return here. If not, Mr. Scott, you have your orders. Uh, this episode is called The Jihad. This episode's writer is Stephen Candle, who also wrote the three Harry Mudd episodes mm -hmm. and was a writer and story editor for Mission Impossible, oh. which shares the same basic concept of this episode, which is a team of specialists brought together to handle an impossible mission. Oh, well, write what you know. Kirk and Spock have beamed down to meet the Vidala on an asteroid, and they're welcomed by a Vidala female. She's a white hunched over cat with loose hanging arms and a fabulous hot pink sleeved leotard. Welcome Captain James Kirk and Commander Spock. I will introduce you. First, Char, hereditary prince of the score, master of the eerie, sword. I was sentenced to this mad expedition. My people are cautious, what you would call cowards. 
As an expert lockpick and thief, you are welcome. M3 Green. Lara is a hunter. She has a flawless directional sense, a necessary skill where you are going. Mr. Spock was chosen for his analytical mind and scientific expertise. Captain Kirk for his leadership and adaptability. Char will explain your mission. Mm. So Char looks familiar to me. Yeah, he does. He's a big bird person with large wings, but he's not Aurelian. As Alik Am was in the episode yesteryear. But it looks exactly the same. He looks very similar. They basically reused the design. Okay. Lara is voiced by Jane Webb. She is a regular for filmation because Majel had morning sickness. Ah, that was their only child, Eugene. But he went by Rod. Hmm. I guess maybe his friends called him by his last name. Roddenberry. Yeah. Oh, God. Wow, I didn't even... <laughs> Didn't even occur to me. Gene <laughs> Jr., that's a lot, isn't it? Gene Quite Jean. like that. Lara is a human hunter, though her eyebrows tell a different story. <laughs> they don't look human. Usually they give us some identifier that someone's an alien, such as arched eyebrows that are sort of sticking up in the air. Yeah. But here, they do that, and she's human. Did someone not tell the artist, maybe? Well, I think you would be surprised how many people would have eyebrows like that. If if they could. If they could. Especially if, in 2019. This Laura would fit right in. She would. She has big hair, a bone necklace, knee-high boots, and a low-cut mini dress. The whiny character you heard earlier is M3 Green, a caterpillarish looking creature with big sad eyes. We also have Sword, a bipedal reptile in an orange spacesuit. Char gives some background. His people were great warriors, able to breed vast armies very quickly, but were civilized by a religious leader called Ilar. They made him immortal by preserving his brain patterns in a piece of sculpture, the Soul of Score. But it has been stolen. If Char's people realize that this artifact has been stolen, it'll start a galaxy-wide holy war. Ooh, the whole galaxy? Well, I think that they're just so aggressive that they'll go nuts. Yeah, until they find it. Supposedly, this artifact is being held on an unstable, mad planet Mm -hmm. where two previous expeditions have been lost. Mm, So they're transported to the mad planet and they travel in a highly unsuitable open-top vehicle, being pelted with rain, then sprayed with lava. Kirk does some leading, M3 Green does some rewiring of the vehicle. Everyone uses their skills. They're chased by a river of lava, and Spock falls, but thankfully the river gives Kirk a chance to go back and save him, and they get to higher ground. They save M3 Green from falling into a ravine using more teamwork, M gets tired and wants to be left behind, so Kirk gets the grumpy sword reptile guy to carry him for the rest of the show. No samurai left behind. I thought it was going to have a kind of seven samurai sort of thing. They sort of pick off a little bit, but not Mm. quite as they do in seven samurai. But sword carries M like he's a little baby. Like he's he's cuddling him and he just seems okay with it. At first he says, get off me or something. And as soon as he's picked him up, he just nuzzles into him and yeah. goes with it doesn't he sword seems to really care for him sweet like there's a lot of love here and no one is being weird about it no not at all no everybody's just, just cool yeah how to keep the team together everyone's needed yeah but sometimes people need some emotional support and uh it yeah. seems that sword is willing to provide it yeah no strings attached well, physical support anyway yeah. for someone who's emotionally drained i think it's great uh, the one thing about this episode i like is the characters because they are actually yeah. very distinct yeah i liked it too and i can see that it probably was easier to animate one character being carried by another rather oh, right. than two walking sure. characters yeah. but yeah. even still they did it in a sweet way 
Char flies on to investigate the fortress where the soul of the score is being kept. Kirk and Lara go scouting. He's about to do it by himself, by the way, even mm -hmm. though it's her role. And we get this. That's it. End of a long, hard journey. We still have to go back, James. I tell you true. I find you an attractive man. If we were together, the trip would be easier. And if anything happened, why, uh, we'd have some green memories. I already have a lot of green memories. Oh. Maybe some other time, Lara. We still have our work cut out for us here. Well, she's already said some snarky things to Kirk about his best friend Spock, so there's no chance. Wait a minute, hold on. There's what? no chance with Kirk? Yeah. There's always a chance with Kirk. <laughs> Not in this series. Not in this series, it's true. <laughs> Green Memories, Urban Dictionary. Of or pertaining to strong carnal desires sexually, having unprotected sex with a stranger Whoa. or new person because of overriding desire or lust and arousal. What's a green memory, Mo? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Maybe you got that from Urban Dictionary. Yeah. So maybe that came from this. Nah. Urban Dictionary is just pop culture stuff. So if yeah. people picked up on this, it might actually. I don't know if this was popular enough to spark any Did thing it... like that. Well, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Having unprotected sex with strangers because <laughs> of overwhelming carnal desire. <laughs> I'm sure all the parents watching with their cereal on Saturday morning were feeling uncomfortable about the questions that arose from that. I'm sure they didn't know what it was. <laughs> I didn't know what it was. And I consider right. myself a fairly worldly fella. Yeah. They reach the fortress and M must quickly pick the locks or they will explode whilst being attacked by mechanical sentinels. It's those flying creatures again from last episode and the infinite Vulcan. Yeah. They're just using them all the time now. But this time they're robots. Yeah. They look exactly the same. Stick to the budget. Yeah, yeah. Inside they find the soul of Score floating up high. It's in a sculpture that looks like a glowing decoration made of twisted strips of paper. The gang are trapped and Kirk suspects every mission so far has been sabotaged from within. Is this where the famous clip comes from of him saying, you say sabotage, I say sabotage. I'm not sure where it comes from. <laughs> Spock, sabotage the system. I don't say sabotage. You say sabotage, I say sabotage. Maybe it hasn't come up yet or we missed it, mm. which God forbid. They inch along to the ledge to get to this artifact. Then there's a quake and then they're blasted at and Char shows up. Char, in the name of the seven gods, why? You stole this. You'll start a bloody crusade across the galaxy. Tell us why, Char. The score were a warrior race. Now what are we? Slaves to the illusion of peace. Cowards, soft in our comfort. This sick dream has stolen our souls. I am Char, hereditary prince of the score, leader of battles. I will lead my people into glory to avenge our history. Most of them will be killed. The warrior races of the Federation will rise to battle the score. Yes, a noble death to win a great dream. We will live no longer like worms crawling in the dirt. We will conquer. Whoa. Whoa. You called it. Of course, I never do. Yeah. You notice he'd gone and he was probably the one who was setting this whole thing up. Yeah. 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 And you were right. And in some of the reviews I've read, people are pretty annoyed that it was telegraphed so clearly. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's for kids. Not for me. <laughs> oh. So Char turns on a gravity neutralizer and then they all float around. 
They can't use phasers as Char controls the phaser bank. Mm -hmm. I, I think if mm -hmm. they start shooting, they had automated systems inside that place mm -hmm. and Char was going to blast them. But he wanted to have a battle mm -hmm. of honor. Right. And so he said hand-to-hand -hand combat. I can't resist another clip. This is wonderful. No, it has to be on his terms. Spock, how long since you've worked out in null gravity combat exercises? Last week with you, Captain. Let's go. <laughs> oh, ridiculous. <laughs> Still a little bit of exposition there. Of course he knows it was last week with him. I love it. <laughs> what if his answer was yesterday? Would that change no, the situation at all? But no. it was so cute. I liked it. Yeah. So they defeat Char, of course, holding him down and hooking Kirk's foot around the artifact. Which is now no longer in a force field, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. Mm. They beam back to the Vidala, the Catwoman and the Leotard who sent them. The Vidala thank them and ensure them Char will be treated for his madness rather than punished. Very Star Trek. Mm -hmm. The mission must remain secret, so no medals. Sword says he doesn't have anywhere to put one anyway. Your neck? <laughs> Where else do people put medals? On, on your shirt? Yeah. You know, there's all types of places people mm -hmm. put medals. I like Sword anyway. I think yeah. he's, he's pretty great. She says in time, they'll even lose their memories of the mission. Mm. Kirk and Spock being back to the Enterprise and we end with this. Captain, Mr. Spock, what happened? What do you mean? You transported over and came right back. Uh, did they call it off? How long were we gone? Long? About two minutes, I guess. I don't understand. The Vidala changed their minds. A dangerous past. Back to your stations. We have a lot of other places to go. <laughs> Just throw a little extra concept in there at the end. Wait as well. a minute. So she <laughs> changed their minds, like altered the fact that they were gone so long. What about all the ship's computers? What about all the instruments that like go, oh wait, I'm missing a day? Oh. Oh, she changed their minds. The dangerous past. All oh, right, she didn't change time. Yeah. She just mind-controlled Sulu and everybody else. Oh. Uh, that's a bit rude, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, concepts. M3 Green was both a thief and a self-professed coward. Is that interesting, do you think? That Makes dichotomy sense. there? I don't think it's any dichotomy. I no? think if you're a thief, you are a coward because you... Mm -hmm. Well, to steal things, it's avoiding direct confrontation. Usually when I think of a thief, I think of somebody that waits until nobody's around and then goes in and steals your stuff, like a burglar. It's cowardly in that it's non-confrontational. Yeah. But it's certainly less cowardly than not doing it at all. I'd never dare. I wouldn't do it anyway because of morals, but I'd never dare go steal something. No, no I wouldn't be afraid of stealing something. I just would not do it because it's the wrong thing to do. But, that's but wouldn't fear. you be scared of someone catching you? And the shame of that? Well, let me. I think if you're stealing, you're either doing it because you're desperate. Or greedy. There's usually a necessity for theft. Uh, Drugs. Some, yeah. some people steal because they can't find legitimate work. Because... There's some very rich people stealing as well, aren't there? Oh, yeah, of course. I don't know. I, I just yeah. think of him as a kind of a Dungeons and Dragons thief. Mm -hmm. And those guys can be very good at combat, but their modus operandi is to avoid combat and sneak around and get what they need. Sneak around, maybe get a key that's going to set their friends free, you know, a positive yeah. motive like that. Yeah, sure. Did the Indurite sculpture contain the brain patterns of Alar? Or kind of the soul of... How does that work? They don't explain it at all. Right. <laughs> you just got to accept it. Maybe they scanned the brain and got a, the brain patterns so they know exactly how it thinks. And there's a, a computer model of his brain inside of the crystal or her brain. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that's so much more than a relic, isn't it? That's almost the living essence of that god-like leader. It, does it actually do anything? Don't know. That's, there's a lot of questions here. Because if it's just a, a copy of its brain patterns, mm. but it doesn't actually do anything, it's not hooked up to any 
machine that allows it to speak. It's just like a record. Yeah. The name sounds too like Allah to be accidental, surely. And jihad is, I don't know, I don't know what that brings to the table, but it seems that they're using Muslim words here. Perhaps, yeah. Don't know why. In the Star Trek Files magazine, John Peel critiqued it as shoddy writing that all the weather events and eruptions happened in such close proximity and puzzled as to why Char kept the theft secret if he wanted to use the theft to start a war. Yeah. Can you think of a reason for that? No. He didn't want to be found out. Maybe he, he wanted to kill off experts first before they started the war, but I don't think they needed to do that, did they? No. Maybe he stole it and was going to let everybody know, but then Vandala found out about it mm -hmm. and knew where it was, and they could easily go, oh, it's right here, and then there wouldn't be a holy war because they found it immediately. Right. So he was maybe trying to steal it back. So then they could lose it properly again. And then he could tell all of his people that it got stolen, and then they could start a holy war. Right. <laughs> Not mm, sure. Yeah, Not that's sure. something. Char said the score were great warriors due to their ability to breed armies quickly. That's scary and alien. Mm -hmm. They credited Ela with becoming civilized. A similarity to Vulcans there. Yeah. And Jesus, I guess. Yeah. Char wanted them to be warriors again as they had become weak in his eyes like worms. He wanted the glory of leadership and war, even if it meant death. And I suppose you've got to manipulate Jesus's words a fair bit to justify war or even leadership, really, other than God. Mm -hmm. So that kind of belief system wasn't working for him. He yeah. needed to get it back to the uh, Old Testament way, as it were. I had to read the script actually to understand Char's deal, what his motivation actually was. Hopefully kids are more switched on than me while they're listening to this quick no. show. I don't know if it's partly me that my job requires me to do a lot of intensive listening for content as well as feelings. So maybe while I'm watching shows, I tend to just let the mood and the feeling of it wash over me and enjoy the obvious jokes. I'm not really operating on a cerebral level. I don't mm. know. But I'm missing a fair bit of content in this series. It's really boring and it's really poorly done. I don't blame you. Yeah. I, I get it, but I'm got that nerd brain switched on. <laughs> yeah. So for me, it's I'm just pulling all this information in. But it, it doesn't make sense. Even when you pull it in, there's so many holes in it and it's just, it just seems so rushed, everything about it. Well, I think they're doing some interesting stuff in this episode, actually. So we've got a horny woman from a planet with few men and she's up for sex with Kirk, but she doesn't let her desire make her useless like it happens with most women in oh. Star Trek. So I appreciated that's that. A, that's a good point. I wouldn't mind a short spin-off series, actually, of this gang of people. Yeah. Yeah. Throwing an awful lot at us for 23 minutes. Yeah. Got an asteroid, then an unstable planet, five new species, not just characters, mm -hmm. motivations for war, etc. Did Kirk and Spock's skills come across, really, though, apart from the fight? Maybe Kirk's leadership yeah. slightly, but Spock didn't really do much in this episode. Yeah, in the script, he, Kirk does lead, although that didn't really come across to me whilst watching it. Yeah. And he encourages people, but Shatner's voice acting, so flat. Yeah, he seems to be phoning it in. There was a few times that when he would say things, I'm like, he read that line wrong. Obviously, it should have been this way. Overall, I'm going to give it 7 out of 10 for concept. The idea that there was this holy war, that's sort of interesting, but I mean, it doesn't, in a sci-fi sense, really blow my mind. I'm going to go give it a six out of ten. I suppose we could have got people together with those qualities from a human group. Oh, yeah. Apart from the flying. Yeah, actually, you know what? I'm going to say a five. Conceptually, it's not that challenging. Entertainment. I loved the aliens. The different bodies they designed for them, different moods and voices. They almost 
represented different emotions, I guess. Mm-hmm. With Sword being the angry one and M being the kind of depressed one and so on. Lara being the sexy one. <laughs> it was cute that the depressed alien was being carried by the grumpy one. David Gerald, one of the writers, voiced the character M3 Green. He begged mm-hmm. Hal to let him do it so he could get his SAG card. <laughs> he later cited the facts that he got to do a voice and got a SAG card as personal highlights of working on the series, <laughs> but said, I wasn't at all happy with how it turned out. I figured out a better voice two days later. <laughs> oh, David, I quite liked it. Yeah, I did too. <laughs> That's such a damning critique of the series, though, that getting to do a voice and getting a sad card were his highlights. Yeah. I liked the strong female character. She had to be sexualized, of course, but it was on her own terms, I thought. Nice snow and lava animation. Really mm-hmm. pretty. I liked them kicking some flying lion butt because they did their anti-grav training together last week. Yeah. I had fun with it. I got lost as usual, but it moved quickly. I love a heist, obviously. And a ragtag group of specialists just makes it more fun. Was Char sexy? What? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Just something okay. lithe, you know, something. And those right. big golden wings. Okay, sure. Yeah, yeah why not? Whatever floats your boat. <laughs> Lots of action and a mystery. It kept my attention. Eight out of ten. I thought this was one of the more entertaining episodes of the original series. It did move super fast. I'm going to give it 8 out of 10 as well. All right. Yeah. Kid value. Writer Candle said that he won a humanitarian award for this episode. Oh. How does that work? We need more details on that. Uh, Captain's Log, the unauthorized complete Trek voyages. Mm. So there you go. I guess some people thought it was great for kids. Guess so. Kirk turned down sex. Green memories. This is the writer of Mud's Passion after all, so he's not going to be appropriate, is he? No, uh, I thought it was okay for kids. I think kids would actually think it was fun and enjoy it. Yeah. So maybe three out of five. Yeah, I'm going to go four out of five for the sort of working together, helping each other and all having your own specialist Hmm. qualities to bring to the table. Okay. Could it have been live? Could it be live? No way. It would have made one hell of a effects sets makeup budget yeah, if no, they had. Yeah. No way. Every single character except for Kirk and Spock had elaborate makeup. Mm-hmm. The locations were all insane. There was like lava and snow and yeah. mountains and climbing and energy. So no way. Yeah. Your guesses. Well, there was no race through space. No one stole the relic to save anyone. They were groups you could only do in an animated show, I guess. No flying lions, although I think Char was a bit griffiny, but you think he was just birdie. I know. <laughs> did he have a tail? Maybe if he had a tail, I that would make it more... Did, maybe not. I thought Kirk could have a difficult decision to make. Well, he didn't agonise long, did he, over not having sex with her? No, he just didn't seem interested, to be honest. <laughs> no, he did not. And I thought he would try and arbitrate. No, not really. few bits in there I got right. Not too bad. All right. Well, that concludes that episode. And that concludes season one. We've got six more episodes left of season two. We did it, everybody. We got through the first season, almost done with the animated series. That's going to be great. I want to thank our patrons for supporting us. Yes. If it wasn't for you, we wouldn't keep doing the show. And if I can ask a favor, please go to iTunes and all the places that you find podcasts and give us very good high ratings. We need to grow. Our show isn't growing very much right now, and we really need to expand. And the only way that we can expand is by word of mouth. Yes, please. tell everybody about our show and how much you love it. And you'll have seen that we've been sharing a few cheeky little videos that we're making Mm -hmm. now. So if you could go subscribe to us on YouTube, that would be wonderful, too. That helps a lot. And with that, I'm Chris Lackey. And I'm Rachel Lackey. And you've been listening to... Rachel Watches Star Trek.
Rachel watches Star Trek.